sounds fun. Follow your cart. Get the ember. Love it. All right, welcome to KFPL Weekly. This is Jupiter from Manlius, New York. As always, I have my esteemed co-host. Hey, guys, it's Trascore. We got Keyforge Live coming up this next weekend. Um, I will not yeah. be there. I will not I be am. there. Yes, you are. And um, I've had a lot of people. Yeah, I have a lot of people asking about like deck choices and like the different ideas of stuff or whatever. So I uh, hit Trascore with a quick. Um, a supplement uh, forum and said basically let's talk make, let's do a quick uh, keyforge live type podcast uh, and break up the the magic the gathering series that we're gonna get ready to do and uh, he thought it was a good idea and uh, what it is is like I made a checklist of the things that I look at when I when I go after a deck and uh, I wanted to kind of run it through Drascore and see what he thinks of it and like and basically talk about what I mean about the different things and uh, see if maybe it doesn't just give everybody a better understanding of like the way you find a deck. Um, maybe it gives you a guideline to use if uh, you haven't, but uh, I want to like point out some really interesting things with um, with the whole SAS uh, climb and stuff. Because everybody, some people just think, hey, high SAS, I win. Like, that's what I want, right? Um, but I'm here to say that, yes, that is, a, it is not a horrible way to do it, right? But it's not, like, SAS isn't everything of everything, right? Like, if that was the case, then only 100 plus SAS decks would be winning tournaments. And that's not the case. So why, right? Um, so let's Let's try to break down SAS a little bit more and uh, kind of see if we can't get more significant numbers out of SAS. And um, so, um, what do you? So, what do you think of this idea? Like, you got to look at the form a little bit. Uh, yeah. Like, where do you think we're going? Like, what's going on? Going to happen? Here? Uh, yeah. So uh, we're going to walk through this form that Jupiter put together. I think there's a lot of good stuff here, right? I think I, I maybe should have used this. I had already picked my decks by the time you, you you sent this over, and I was sort of looking at it, and I was like, okay, I, I I can answer a bunch of these questions, right? But I know that there's uh you know no deck is perfect, so I know there's some holes in in some of the decks I'm I'm bringing, which is fine, right? Like know what the problems are uh, in your decks and be ready for that. So I think this is a great way to help evaluate mm-hmm. some decks and figure out what's bubble at the top and then figure out, okay, what do I what do I need to be on the lookout for because because I'm not perfect. Right. And the idea I, the idea of this deck details list that I made is is that any deck can be like somewhat competitive in some environments, right? But like the idea is like you have to know what your matchups are and know basically when you have to push your amber, when you have to basically be more conservative, et cetera, et cetera. And the way you know that is by knowing how your deck works, right? Yeah, so the first thing uh, that we have in basically is you put your, ne- your deck name down, right? And that's important. Very important. Um, if very... you don't put your deck name in, how are you ever going to figure <laughs> out... <laughs> It's an important... Well, I guess if you're doing this for multiple multiple decks, right, it's you to gotta know you, which one you score. It's, it's to give you that sense of ownership, right? Like you want to yeah. know that deck. That like your your best decks, you know the names of. Like you got to know the names of them, right? So, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but so, all, all jokes aside, um, so let's get into the checklist. Um, so basically, I thought you were gonna skip it. I was getting ready to hit you with you skip the first question. So you know you got though. I got you. See, you can't catch me. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so so the uh, the the, the I, you, part of the reason I did that 
that was because I knew you would say something if I didn't. So <laughs> it's, it's like married couple. It's like I'm gonna counter it before you get uh, <laughs> you get me. Well, that's how you play Keyforge, right? You're like, oh, I know the guy's gonna do this, so I do that, right? There right. you go. There you go. Uh, yeah. So so the first uh, the first significant block is basically that basically how many checks does uh, you know, how many checks in the box does does this deck fill? And uh, the checks in the box, if you notice, is interesting. Ten checks, right? And the ten checks basically is like a ten star system right not perfect in any way but like it's not going to tell you like um is it like a four or five star deck no it does not do that um, but what it does do is it gives you a good idea of what is in your deck and how it works and um so the 10 categories that i i subdivided in is uh the, we'll go one by one and the first one was does it have significant amber control all right, so mm -hmm. let, let's let's define significant amber control and why I say it that way, and I don't say, oh, I used to say like, you know, hey, if you have ten amber control, that's good, right? Ten amber control in, on one deck could be a lot different from ten con amber control on another deck. Um, so, good example mm -hmm. of this is two of my favorite decks um, have one has eleven, one has twelve amber control. So, in the one eleven amber control, I have too much to protect, which is a scaling amber control. Uh, Fagin, uh, four urchins. Do take hostages, a skeleton key, a relentless whisper, and a ghostly hand for amber control. In the other deck, okay. I have solid lineup. Yeah, in the other deck, I have an Infernus, and uh, two Ever Essence principles, a Pismire, a Snareret, and a Xenophene. So these two hmm. these two numbers are very similar in 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 in, in their amber capture. Um, you know, category in the in the amber control category, but they're very different types of amber control. Both do things, but they do things very differently. So when I say significant amber control, I'm talking about like how many infernuses do you have? How many ever essence principles do you have? How many like how much scaling amber control do you have versus spot amber control? Or is your amber control taxing? Is it like is it basically looking to just like you know bump your your opponent's costs up? And how well is it going to do that? How well is that protected and stuff like that? So significant Significant amber control. What it really means is, how does your deck use the things that it can use to, for amber control to push it forward? Um, some decks you can win with three to four amber control if you're basically tempoing correctly and have combos and stuff like that. Um, so you know the the number is almost like irrelevant. But learning what amber control is and how it works is the thing that I think that I want to focus on here for amber control. It's not just the number, right? It's not just ten anymore. Now it's like we're going to go to that next level and we're going to talk about well, what, you know, is it am I am I getting like a house like you know that has you know, a couple commandeers, Umbra Fiend, and like an Equalize or whatever. That's great Amber Control, right? Yay! I'm gonna, I'm gonna go. <laughs> you know, that's gonna give me six Amber Control. That's pretty. That's not too bad, right? But well, <laughs> but but in our reality, it, it it's it it really isn't that great, right? Like it's just not gonna be that great. Whereas like maybe you have a different type of house where you have like you know, two Pismires and like, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, a couple urchin types, like, you know, to go with right. it, like, uh, whatever. It's not going to play out of your hand and do the thing, right? If you got a whole, you know, a fistful mm -hmm. of noddies and dodgers and, and, uh, stuff like that, that take time to activate, you could have a ton of those things, but you may not be able to activate them when you need them. Right, like like I have one deck that has ten amber control that has two infernuses, a tribute, two rock grubs, and odak, uh, etc. And, and you know that's ten amber control versus another one that has charette, dodger, urchin, nerve blast, drumble, shulers, uh, two shulers, a relentless whisper, and a ghostly hand. But I feel like the 
to Infernus, Tribute, Rock Rub, Odak, like, etc., like, uh, Amber Control probably is better, um, because of the, you know, the value of the quality of that Amber Control, whereas the other ones are more like capture and stall, mm-hmm. you know, or like spot grabs, um, that can get pulled back like drumbles and nerves. So, um, capture versus steal versus loss versus gain, these are all things that you have to think about in Amber Control and realize, like, what it is doing for your Amber Control, right? So, definitely. And and um, I, I hardly remember your first example now, but when you said it, <laughs> it one of the things that occurred to me was that the second um, list of cards that you threw out there seemed a little more situational, mm-hmm. both from an advantage and disadvantage standpoint, right? Like, I think you said there was, like, two effervescent principles, the Pismir, some stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so those are... Little, much more situational than like your TMTP and in, in your first your your first go, right? So, you know, hey, maybe if you're playing against you know a big mutant deck with someone who's going to really be watching uh, your Ember versus their Ember, you're going to have a hard time uh, using your Ember control effectively. Um, or maybe you know you're watching your opponent and they don't have mutants and they've got a ton of bursts but not a lot of key cheats so you're really able to to time your effervescent principles super effectively to negate their birth so it's you know the matchup becomes so important there yeah and also the like something you mentioned that is gonna it was like one of my later points like for closing and stuff on anything that we're talking about today but the key words are like timeliness right like like in effectiveness so like there's a lot of cards that are going to give you high value like tmpt is huge on your uh on your amber control scale right but tmt has like how well does your deck time it's the tmtp like can you archive it can you put it aside can you like how bad do you need it at the right exact time like there's there's like scaling amber control is great but it's a timely type thing right most of the time it's not something that's going to just come in and, and work um but you also have like cards like um cutthroat research right where it's like you have to have eight amber it has yeah. to hit eight amber for you to be able to use it effectively and when you start playing higher levels of keyforge people will punish you for those types of cards because they know what you need to get to use it you know and like so they're going to basically play around you or play smartly into them um that's why one of the reasons when uh keyforge first started bait and switch when it got banned there was like kind of like a 50 50 feeling about it because honestly like play better and bait and switch isn't a problem right like that was just the that was that was kind of like the realistic uh, you know thing about it is like if you don't just spike your amber with your hunting witches and go nuts and make a billion amber and then get beat up by a bait and switch because you played right into it like that was the that was the defensive side of the people who were like it didn't need to be nerfed right they're like just play better like it don't play so aggressive and learn how to play around the card right um it, mm. The card was still pretty dang good, so like I, I kind of was a in the neutral. Like I could go either way. Um, I didn't mind it being banned, but I didn't think it had to be banned. Whereas Library Access definitely needed a nerf. Like that card was uh, absolutely <laughs> r- ridiculous. But uh, I digress. Yeah, yeah. Amber controls always, always super important. Um, you know, yes, there are those rare decks where you just can go so fast, or maybe you're so efficient that you can go with lower. Um. But, um, you know, be able to stop a lot of the big, crazy burst decks you're going to see at a big event like this. You're, you're going to want you're going to want that Amber control. Yep. And so the second thing on the list is, uh, does it have significant creature control? And much like Amber control, this is kind of the same thing. It's like with creature control, there's different types of creature control. There's bounce, there's removal, there's purge, there's, um, 
you know, like a fight it off, like kind of stuff, like how well can your deck fight? Um, you know, there's different types of creature control that go into that creature control number. So learning how your deck looks at a board and how it deals with creatures is very important. And I do believe that you need a board wipe. You need a mechanic that in your deck that is going to state if I'm behind, if I fall behind, I have a way to catch up. Now, one of those things, the way you get around having a board wipe is you just have a lot of creatures. The more creatures you have, the less need of a board wipe you have because you know you're going to populate the board and you're going to be able to fight. But that's not necessarily always great either. So I, I do believe that the best of decks have some kind of catch-up mechanic in a board wipe. How do you feel about creature control? I totally agree, right? So, um, you know, we were talking about SAS before. My my second highest SAS deck, uh, and I just opened this one, is an 88. And um, it's got all sorts of awesome stats, except only eight creature control and no board wipes, and only a medium effective power, right? The 70s. And it... It is extremely matchup dependent. Like I would not bring this to a high level event because in a matchup where I can overpower on the board just with my dudes, I can do really, really well. But in a matchup where uh, I need to deal with the opponent's creatures and I, you know, I can't um, because my guys just aren't beefy enough, I, I just lose. Like there's not much I can do in that type of matchup, and so it's just not. Even though it's an 88. It's not something that I can bring to uh, to a high level event. Yep, I agree, and like um, that's like part of the thing. So we continue to build the narrative on our deck. Um, creature control, amber control, a significant amount, right? And significant amount means it can carry out the mission of your deck. But we'll talk more about that in the future. But right now we're just writing the narrative of the deck, right? So the third part of it was, does it have adequate raw amber? So what is your mm. what is your adequate raw amber number? Um, so this one's interesting, right? Because I, th I don't think I paid that much attention to the raw until you started talking about it on this podcast. <laughs> oh, interesting. And there, yeah. So like, I paid a lot of attention to expected Ember. And like, as you, you know, as I've talked about a number of times, like, I really enjoy just, you know, looking through decks and stuff. So I will, like, you know, if you have something on eBay, where the deck is not registered, I will count my own expected Ember uh on the cards as i'm going through just card by card but i i don't generally count uh the the raw pips the bonus ember now since you started talking about it, i started paying more attention right and thinking about it like yeah okay you know um the expected ember you know is maybe an average but but i think i think the reason i should pay more attention to the bonus ember is because pretty much with the bonus ember you get the bonus ember the the expected ember is more of a probability and i think depending on the deck that the wideness of that probability curve could could be tight or, or could be quite wide and you know you you could be walking in there with like a I don't know double volts blessing deck and you know a whole bunch of mutants and you got a high expected ember maybe a lower bonus ember and suddenly you're you're up against another super high mutant deck right so now suddenly you're like ooh can I even play this card so I think that bonus ember can help you to just have some sort of confidence in terms of hey if i just play the cards for their ember regardless of the other effects what what am i going to get out of them 
Yeah, and so so when I say adequate raw amber, um, the trick to this is like, again, I used to say 12 is the, the number, right? Like that's the basic, right? The basic is 12. And the reason I say 12 is because that's two out of three keys. Just playing card, <laughs> just playing your cards. Um, but the truth is, is that raw amber is, is very important in the idea that if you're playing a control style deck, uh, raw amber, uh, raw amber is always good to be higher, right? But if you have a low raw amber, are there decks that can that can get away with that? And I say yes. Um, but those okay. those decks that have lower raw amber are going to need much stronger amber control, and they're going to need like a way to basically you know keep the game locked up and basically stitched up to where your opponent doesn't sneak ahead of you and, and you can't come back. So you need catch-up mechanics and you need a lot of amber control to have a low raw amber. Yeah, but yeah, or, or some, you know, especially with maybe with Dark Tidings, some, some really fancy um, combos that you can consistently get off, right? Part mm -hmm. of the challenge with the combos is it's hard to consistently get them off so you need to you need to be able to count on those cards yeah the higher the raw amber the better in any deck because again like just playing cards and putting a value and a speed on your deck that uh, helps you is 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 very important right like uh, we all want to get to the end game quickly and the way you win is by amber and creating keys mm -hmm. If you have 18 raw amber, that means that you can make three keys just playing cards, right? And no matter how good or bad your deck is, that means that your deck has a certain level of pressure that it that it accounts for every time you play. So raw amber is important in that way. Um, and again, it, it feeds into your expected amber because the more expected amber you have, the more chances and potential you have to to push towards your end game state, right? So uh, 20, I think, is the average. Like um, between like I was doing an average of like all the bigger decks, which I'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but like uh, there was basically like averages for like the you know the top tier decks, the decks that are considered to be you know the good ones, the ones that uh, you know like quote unquote everybody's like these are the ones I want to play at the vault tour. So I took like mm -hmm. 50 of those types of decks and I did an average to get a bunch of numbers that uh, I'll talk about later and give you the ideas of the bases of them all. But um, but it helped me look and go, man, that's crazy. Like some of these averages are like, you know, like kind of where we always been, but like a little bit higher, maybe a little bit lower, but like you might be surprised. Um, and again, this is an average. So there's no deck that ri that can, would ride these averages like perfectly, right? Because like some decks sure. tend to push uh, like a really high speed and they kind of skew the numbers. So I took out like the three top and the three bottoms just to kind of curve the bell curve down and uh, not be so spiky. And um, I still got pr some pretty interesting numbers, but we'll play that game in a little bit. Um, okay. <laughs> so, um, so, so raw amber and expected amber, both are important because the more amber you have, the better you are, the better and closer you are to winning. Yeah. Now, what about so so the counter argument potentially is, uh, hey, I'm worried about that triple infernus double hysteria deck. So wouldn't I rather have some comboy ember as opposed to printed ember uh, against that matchup? What is is it significant, right? Like uh, the, the, the the reason I use these words, significant expected amber and adequate raw amber is that like every deck has has a threshold, and so what you when you're playing through your deck and you're practicing your deck, you want to see and, and kind of check this is like, do I feel like when I need amber control, do I have it? When I do when I need a creature removal spell, do I have it? You know how how well is my deck pushing my end game? That's what this expected amber raw amber group is about, right? Um, and then like 
moving on to the next thing is, does it have sufficient speed? Um, sufficient speed means like, well, some decks have negative three speed and they do fine. <laughs> like uh, we, we saw in KFPL, right? Like um, I think it was Jay Philippek that had a deck that had like crazy low speed and like, but the, the quality of his cards sufficed for that. So the better the quality of cards that you are playing, like the better your arc score say is, um, your total arc score is the better, like the less you need speed, but having speed is always a good thing. It's like raw amber. The higher it is, the better it is, because the better you drive through your deck, the faster you drive through your deck, it's always a better thing than not being able to. But you can make, you can get away with having lower speed if you're playing nothing but great carts. Um, so, mm -hmm. so that's kind of the balance there. And you have to think, cause there's some decks that really, they don't have a, a big pop, right. But they have a ton of Igors and they can fly through their deck and get them out of the way and play a two house game. That's still a, a significant advantage. Um, when you have things like that, even though maybe you don't have the same pop of amazing cards that some decks have, but, um, that's the balance that you get when you start to play test these decks. So, uh, sufficient speed yeah. is, is, is a key thing in the idea yeah. that like, if you're playing a control deck, you might have no speed because all you're doing is you're looking for a lock and you're looking for a restricted contest to come in at a timely place and you're looking to counter what they're doing until then etc etc you know there's just there's different variants to it and i think that the lower your speed the better your card quality better be and they better be working together with synergies right and that's the key to the speed dilemma right like um, again yeah. more speed always better but if you're gonna play yeah, low speed high quality cards <laughs> yeah i mean it helps boost the other thing you're doing right so if you have right because we were we were chatting before we started going through the list about hey knowing what the holes in your deck are right so if you've got a high speed and maybe maybe you do have that low creature control maybe you only got the one board clear and not much else and so you need to to save that for a rainy day high speed through either archiving or just cycling through your deck really quickly can can make that one board clear feel like two <laughs> if you if you have enough right and just enough to put you over the top so it can it can really help fill in those holes yeah and so the next the next thing on the list is does it have hard or soft artifact control um mm -hmm. this is a very relevant thing especially as the sets seem to go there seem to be more and more powerful artifacts so there has to be more and more hard artifact control like removal and if you don't have hard artifact control removal you're risking having to play against some of these cards like eaton's jar or uh auto encoder and things like that and um they are game warping right um and these are mechanics that a lot of people when they have those in a deck the deck kind of like thrives off of those right so like if you don't deal with it the deck is going to go into full full-on blitz mode and you're going to have a hard time um with the game right you're playing with your you basically you know you're playing uh you're in the batting cage and you crank it up to 100 miles an hour and you're trying to hit that right and like that's like way harder but if you have just a little bit of this artifact control the hard artifact control then all of a sudden you kind of crank it down to like an 80 mile an hour you know pitch instead of a 100 mile an hour pitch so it seems like um you know there's a significant need now for hard artifact control and then in some cases, soft artifact control is still viable, but we're seeing less and less of the the artifacts that are actually activated to be great. Um, there's still some yeah. good there's still some good ones and stuff, but it's really the hard. It's like the static like I come into play and I'm always in play effect kind of cards that are starting to take over, like the Eaton's jars and the auto encoders and the heart of the forests and stuff. Like some of the worst artifacts. Souls, yeah. yeah. They, it doesn't matter if you can remote access them. It doesn't matter if you can, uh, you know, horn, horn swaggle or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like it, it does. It doesn't. It just. It doesn't matter, right? Um. So. 
I think that there is a question that you have to really put in your head about like how much, how well does your deck play against these auto encoder, heart of the forest decks and things like that. If you have significant problems beating them, if they're in, they're on the board and you have none of this artifact control, your deck probably isn't going to do well at a high end tournament because you're going to see those cards. Um, they're too good not to show up. They're too good not to show up. So, um, yeah, I definitely eliminated some decks because uh, they didn't have artifact control, and I didn't think they had a, enough significant other things to overcome that. And so, some otherwise, some otherwise very good decks. Stuff I've, I've, uh, you know, brought to some serious events before. Um, you know, maybe I was a little more green. Um, I, I, I had to pass over. I had to pass over. That's good. But uh, but you you're starting to recognize the value in it, right? And um, the, 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 the next thing is, does it have a board clear, right? These are the intangible factors we're into right now, right? These are the specials, right? Like starting at artifact control, these are special things, right? Um, board clear is a special thing, uh, but I think you need at least one. Um, and ideally, you want to be able to board clear from any house, like in my opinion. Like you, sh you, you should have something that makes an impact in any house, right? Um, so like it doesn't necessarily have to be all big, bad, like super board clears, but you want to be able to control the board and what happens on the board with each house because you never know when somebody's going to control the weak you or put you into a place and you you want to at least have an option to have an answer there um so i think board clearing and like basically having a big board clear and then like some nice spotty type things um is huge um and like one of the best yeah. houses for this is this right because you have gateway to disc that's the big board bomb right but then you have things like dance of doom and you have like things like um what's that other Eat a disc. Uh, yeah, well, key to disc is kind of gateway to disc. It's all the same. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's any house, which is nice. But yeah, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. The key to disc does turn on in any house, so that is actually sure, sure. that's why it's the best board clear in the game, in my opinion. But um, there you go. But um, yeah, but they have like Dance of Doom, and you have like um, the, the fates like Gleeful uh... Mayhem's Three Fates. Mm. Yeah, yep. Three Fates. Mm -hmm. um, you have like you know all these little things and stuff like that, and that's really deep and stuff like that. But if you're all loaded in disc with this removal, then you have Logos that does nothing but draw cards with Igor, and then you have Untamed that does your spike into a key. Then your opponent can kind of pick and choose what it wants to get you into and lock you into something that you don't maybe necessarily want. The balance between three houses and doing things across three houses is very underrated in Keyforge, I think. Um, and I think that um, I see that a lot in decks that are in those high 80s, in like mid low 80s, and like. Uh, people are like oh this deck is great and i'm like yeah but like it is too it's like it's like the analogy of playing doing a tug of war right like i've, I've said this mm -hmm. one before is like it's like some houses like there's three people right and sometimes it feels like instead of just all people lining up and pulling in one direction which is your most most force that you can possibly put on the rope for pulling it's like people are at like 45 degree angles from each other pulling like in in you know, opposing directions against one, like three people pulling in one direction, the other way, the people three in line are going to have more force and they're going to easily overwin, easily win that tug of war because, uh, basically you're losing energy by going off in tangents, like off to the side. And that's what I think it feels like sometimes with the three houses is that each house might be doing great things for each of what is inside their house, but they don't have any like cross house synergy. They have no way to basically get to another um, house to do things. They have nothing that kind of like one house doesn't set up another house kind of thing. And um, I think that that's, it's a tricky thing. And I think board clearing and like the ability to spot remove and stuff like that is huge. And er I think that every house in your deck should have a way to deal with things on the board. Because if you don't have that, then it's most likely that you might have an early start where 
like if I notice that you don't have a good balance and board clear, like the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to look for one of my power cards, like my Captain Val Jericho or my, you know, or my Hunting Witch or whatever it's not. And if I'm the first player with the, like, you know, the first one card play, I'm putting something on the board that goes either kill this or I'm going to run, run you over. Right. And um, that's like the first big play of the game. And if you can't answer in different houses and you don't have enough depth in that in that category, like that could be the end of your uh, end of the game right there. Just by that person pushing that first envelope and going, can you answer this? Because if you can't, you lose. Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't think this means you need uh, like three board clears minimum, one in each house, but you need stuff. Right. Like mm-hmm. maybe it's fine if you've got. Uh, I don't know, maybe you got some big Brobner guys and a couple of gauntlets at command mm-hmm. and, uh, no, you know, no coward's end, but you're going to, you know, you, you're going to do some fighty with ganger chieftains and stuff and uh, you're going to be okay in Brobnar and then you got your gateway and dis, right? Stuff like that, you know, that uh, can just make sure you you have options. Um yeah, you have to be able to board clear. And I'm not saying like you need a board wipe. It's not the what, I, what I'm asking here is like I'm saying that you need a way to get things off the board. And um and how well does each house do that? And each house has to be able to do that. Whether it's through creatures and Brobnar, whether it's through spells and, and dis, like in you know through um sorry actions um in mm-hmm. dis um <laughs> in dis, but um or whether it's like through just like bouncing effects off of like things like um you know like nature's call and and like um. Lost in the woods or lights, something. Yeah. Lights, lights yeah. out, like you know, mm-hmm. lights out, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, there's just a lot of different ways to basically get things off the board and clear the board, and sometimes you need those. Um, Maelstrom is huge right now; like it's been pretty popular, um, and it's such a tempo play too. It's such a great board clear, um, even though it's not a board wipe; it's a board clear, and it's a it's a tempo setback, right? Like you're basically making them draw those cards again. So that's huge, especially since you get to control your creatures on your side. So you can kill a bunch of your creatures off like before you even Maelstrom, and then just put them at a bigger disadvantage because you're getting the new cards and they're not. So um, like all these things have to go in mind when you're thinking right and so the next thing on on the list uh was does it have scaling amber control um i think that this is getting more and more important because there's a lot of burst um kind of you saw that in dark tidings now it's like uh they kind of went back to coda style burst where it's like you can really throw down a lot of amber in a very short period of time and sometimes like people like if you don't have that scaling amber control threat people will just go well i'm going all in because the most you can take back is one or two amber so if I get to 18 amber, how are you gonna how are you gonna stop me, right? <laughs> right. Like, like so, I think scaling amber control is becoming more and more important, and I'd like to see at least some form of it. And um, in scaling amber control, we're talking about like things like too much to protect, everessence principle, uh, submersive principle. Um, you know, there's there's lots of cards that basically will get you the scaling amber control effect. And um, I think spot amber control is very important as well, but like scaling amber control is the threat that keeps people from just going postal. It changes their mindset of how they should be playing um, if they're paying attention. And if they're not, you punish them. Like interdimensional graft is a, is a huge punishment card. Mm, draft, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so like um, like there's a lot of things that, that go into the scaling amber control category that um, have different ways of being executed. And again, timeliness matters with those, but like at the same time, just having them in your deck is a, makes your opponent think about it right and like putting it into your discard pile too early or prematurely gives your opponent a green light so you have to think about that stuff too when you're playing um because like sometimes like 
just the threat of having the card in your hand is enough to keep them at bay and maybe buy you a turn or two if uh, you get to it as long as you don't tip your hand and say hey look it's gone like you don't have to sweat this anymore um especially if you only have one right like yeah it's huge so i yeah i've definitely played the you know drew you know starting hand or second turn you know my my big scaling ember card you know thinking about what my opponent has they're not a super big bursty deck and maybe i'm not i don't have archive and i'm like all right well let me let me let me discard this right and then um next thing you know like i could sell i could see them smiling right and the gears turning because they now they've got a plan that they didn't think was open to them and now they can just go hog wild and i'm thinking oh shoot (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> maybe, I sh- maybe I should have held that. I don't know, but it could be it could be tricky if you don't have archive, you don't have the speed um, to to um, you know handle those sort of scenarios. There's a balance between two worlds, <laughs> but uh, it's like it's like do mm-hmm. I do I do I do I chain myself and draw or, or do I draw mm-hmm. cards right? Like um, and everybody always says draw cards, draw cards, draw cards, and that's what yeah you know the initial the initial correct thing most of the time is going to be draw cards, but the best players in the world, um, which are, we're starting to see, like there is a commonality in who is getting to like, you know, in, in, in the league and stuff like that. Like there's, there's, a, there's a commonality to who's getting there and stuff and how good they are and stuff is you're starting to see players and you go, yeah, Ugluk, one of the best players in the world. Yeah. Damn it. One of the best players in the world, like, uh, you know, easily because, and they're always there because they make smart decisions and they know when to chain themselves and they know when to go for it. Like they're very good at like understanding and feeling and reading decks and how they play out. And um, they practice a lot and they're just really good players. Um, and, and part of that is knowing when to hold them and knowing when to fold them. Good old Kenny Rogers, right? <laughs> but um, and I, knowing your deck, right? I think that's like getting lots of repetitions with a deck, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you you could have two different decks that the only scaling ember they control they have is that interdimensional graph, let's say, and in in one of those decks, just because of all the other stuff you have, maybe the right move often is to discard it. In another deck, it's often the right card, right time to hold it. Um, but but it's just as much what your opponent's deck is and, and reading your opponent's deck list, I think, mm-hmm. to, to know what the right thing is there. Mm-hmm. I think 101 is know your deck and how your deck plays. I think 202 is understand like the things that can hurt you and like how you know how things are going and then when you get to like that mastery level like the 300 level like you're looking at like people who just know how cards interact with each other like it doesn't even have to be their deck they just get to that level where they look at the cards in the deck and they look at the cards in their opponent's deck and they go all right here's all the possibilities that i that i could see happening and they 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 know their game plan they know their map they know what they need to do and then they go for that line like that's the line they're playing to because they know that's the one that wins um so i I think that's kind of how you look at keyforge like 101 is like get your deck play your deck know your deck play it as good as you can congratulations like beginner class like you got there right and then like for 202 like your second course lesson is okay you know how your deck plays and stuff like that so what is your opponent doing against you how is it how are they playing against you how are they basically putting in uh, work against the things that are in your deck and the, and the weaknesses that are in your deck and like how are you playing to your strengths and how are you playing to your outs right so that's kind of like 202 and then 303 is like i don't care what you give me to play i'm gonna know my best line i'm gonna find my best line because i know what cards do with cards like i don't care about the decks i know how the decks are going to interact based on my knowledge and my expertise of the game and what the cards are and how they interact with each other and what decks are trying to do. And they, that, that's like, the, that's where the Ooglooks and the Damnets of the world are, right? They're at that place where it's like, they've done all three of those things. And now it's like, 
to beat them, you have to be on your A game and you have to not make mistakes. Because if you make any kind of mistake, they punish you for it. Yeah, you know, so one of the things, so I did not fill out this form, as I was mentioning, for for my decks. But, but what I did do is I made some notes for myself. Not necessarily on how to play my own deck, because I feel like I've played these decks quite a few times. I, I know how to play them. But um, what I actually put notes to myself is what to look for on my opponent's Archon card. Because, yes, yes. Um, yeah, because like, well, first of all, I'm, you're like totally foreshadowing all the end of this, but that's cool. <laughs> ah, okay. All right. All right. And uh, yeah, <laughs> trying to figure out like, okay, like I, and for this particular deck, right? So, so Keyforge Alive, right? Archon Survival. So three decks, this particular deck I have right here, I care a lot about if my opponent has bounce, the other two, maybe not so much. Mm -hmm. right and so like making sure i'm like okay i'm on this deck let me just review like just my my notes on okay what what are the things i might go sit down at the table i'm gonna want to um um you know be on the lookout for okay i'm on this deck now boom 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 these things all right think about this that the other thing all right go sit down yes they have bounce okay i need to be really cautious here or no they don't okay i can be a little more open you know like like stuff like that is is the stuff that i know i need to help myself remember to do otherwise i'll get lost in the moment and won't do it <laughs> yeah so so back to the narrative of what we're trying to do is uh like uh we talked about scaling amber control the last two things on the quote-unquote narrative of your deck is does it have a key cheat and does it have cross house synergies we've talked about cross house synergies a bit already and having a key yep. cheat is just a way to end the game right so moving off of this check sheet now we're going into the actual questions about your deck um and the first one is and the most important one is what is your end game strategy like how do you win are you doing a key cheat to pay off with a with a with or without a combo like is it just a key cheat like play to your key cheat to get ahead um and just or is it maybe you're out tempoing with just straight amber rush um and how like how are you going to tempo and how are you going to rush you know versus your opponent um are you uh control the amber balance and basically keep the game close and you deny your opponent the win by uh stopping their win condition and, and progressing and just basically holding off their win condition as in a, in a true control style or are you comboing off with basically like high value cards and like you know you know sequences that you need to basically uh win the game or lock down the game right because there are two different ways that you can combo off right you can combo off for the win which is the more the more uh traditional way but there's also combos like with research to guntis or with the uh, rooftop laboratory now and stuff like that where you can just lock the game down by just like like taking away all the product the the productivity that your opponent can have right mm -hmm. um and maybe you have something different for your end game strategy right so if that's it you identify it but identifying how your deck wins is your number one priority when you are first looking at your deck to me i think that you have to know how you close the game and like what the best way to close the game is because there's a lot of keyforge decks that don't really have that they, I mean, they might have a way to win, but it's not pronounced. And I think if you can't pronounce, like, look at it and go, well, I know that I'm going to have a board presence here and I'm going to have to reap to win. Um, that's probably not the best strategy um, for higher end gaming, right? Because people are more likely going to have key cheats. They're more likely going to have some kind of, like, big burst play or some kind of tempo out tempo you play that is coming. And if you're just trying to play, quote unquote, clean, um, and fair Keyforge, you're, it's probably not a competitive enough deck, in my opinion. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. You know, and and um, it, it's an interesting um, just concept. Like, is it these things enough? Right? Uh, and and that is a thing that's a little bit hard to to judge. Right? I definitely have a bunch of decks that I like. I uh, as I was looking down, I did you know I did start from the top of my list in terms of SAS order and work my way down. Um, and there's some decks in there that I like that I did skip over because I I just felt like it wasn't quite enough of thing X Y Z right or it just had a little bit of too many uh, issues um, with with closing out the game that um, I didn't feel confident with it and the ones i picked i think they do have some in-game strategies but i don't know do they do they have um you know strong enough endgame strategies that uh i'm going you know i'm going to be able to knock out some of these like super super awesome decks i don't know what one of my decks i paid 30 dollars for so we'll see we'll see <laughs> do you i mean you don't pay over 30 dollars for any deck so that's true yep. of all your decks <laughs> the other two i open oh, yes. oh yeah that's fair, that's fair. <laughs> but uh yeah <laughs> So um, I, other than that, like after you identified your endgame strategy, the next question I have for you is what are your deck's weaknesses? And this is something that looking in the mirror at, at people's decks, I don't think people do this um, with relatively fair bias. Um, I think that they always look for their strengths. And I think that um, when you're selling decks, like when you see people trying to sell decks, like they're always like, well, this is awesome. This is awesome. This is awesome. And I'm like, the first question I have for them is, is like, well, what is bad about it? Right? Like, what is the thing that sucks about your deck? Um, and then you identify that. And if you can identify that easily, um, that's a problem uh, if you don't think that you have a way to really counteract that, right? Because you get punished by that. And like good players are going to see it and they're going to punish you um, for the things that your deck lacks. Um so if you are playing that like three amber control deck um, and you're thinking you're going to just out-tempo them, they just go, oh, great, this is perfect because I'm playing Fagin with four urchins and, you know, two relentless whispers and I'm just going to sit here and pick you to death, right? Like, that's all I got to yep. do is be mm -hmm. wait for you and pick you to death. Like, you know, like those things are going to pay for or are going to hurt you. So um, by identifying these weaknesses that you have, though, uh, what happens is you get yourself into a position where you can win the game. And a good example of this for me is uh, when I was in Albany um, playing Inca. Inca is one of those three Amber Control decks, right? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I was like, my biggest like fear was like, oh, I really hope I don't run into like traditional Coda like Dis Logos um, Untamed or Dis Logos. Shadows. shadows shadows yeah it's like, it's like i don't want to see those in the first two rounds i ran into those two houses the the shadows disc logos houses and um i looked at i remember looking at their list going man this list is absolutely horrible for my tempo game um i have to go nut and i have to play as recklessly as i can into as much amber generation as i can make early on and just make them have answers and if they have answers i think i just lose if they don't have answers i win like right and i just have to play that aggressively reckless because if i don't i can't win because if this game goes along, I can't win, right? And right. um, and so I ended up winning both of those games because I played aggressively. I won my prime because of the same thing. I ran into the same kind of deck. I was playing against Kyle Coons, um, uh, in round two, um, and he was the person I saw in the finals as well. But um, in round two, and I had to get through him with his too much to protect and stuff, and I had to play around both. Of, he had two too much to protect in his deck. I had to play around both of them, and I had to basically just out tempo him in a way that was effective. And um, there was only one way that could happen. And at the end of that game, I remember him telling me he's like man you played that as perfect as you could and i was like i had to because if i didn't i just lose 
Right. Right. And um, his deck was definitely favored, but like just by playing around my weaknesses and playing, you know, trying to get to my strengths and playing around my weaknesses, I was able to pull like, you know, pull out like an upset basically because my deck really had no business of winning those games. But um, that's part of the knowledge of knowing my deck and knowing what I, what I, what I'm weak against and being able to exploit and basically play my best game against my worst matchup, right? That's what you're looking for in your deck um, and knowing how to do that and pull it off. Yeah, it comes down to, to reps with your deck. It comes down to knowing, okay, because I've played these reps, like I have played a type of deck against the type of deck that's similar to this. And uh, maybe you didn't win that match when you were playing it, but hopefully you learned something from that. And you're like, okay, well, I tried this, and this part of it worked, but this part didn't, so I'm going to change it up in this way, and now I'm going to give myself the best shot going into into this this big event. Yep, and so after you've learned and identified your weaknesses, my next step, there's two steps left, I promise I won't kill you guys too long, um, but, <laughs> yeah. but uh, you know, the next thing is, is like, what are your early game plays, right? Um, this is basically your mulligan strategy, right? Because mm. it's very important that when you're playing your deck, you have the strongest start that you can have, um, and you need to know what that looks like from position one, like if you're playing one card versus like position one B, right? Like where you're basically getting to play as many cards as you want after your opponent plays a card. Um, and I think that these are heavily varied in like most decks and like, yes, there are just solid, you know, turn one. Hey, look, I got a Eureka. This is a perfect turn one play, no matter what, right? right. right. Um, um, it, it's going to get you value, get you speed. You're going to get moving and stuff like that. But what happens when like you have that Eureka, but like you also have like a Captain Val Jericho and you have to make a choice. Um, that's where knowing your deck and knowing what your opponent's playing and stuff like that comes into value because um, I think you still go Eureka most of the time because like you're just gonna even if Valjerico ends up in your archive you just pick it up next turn and you get the value anyway. But um, you know the idea is is like you could have multiple early game plays. You need to know which of those early game plays are best against what type of decks that you're looking for. Um, you're also looking like at what your first turn plays are going to elicit responses from, right? Like so if your opponent has like creature control but they only have like one board wipe and two spot removal, right? Playing a threat as my first card is almost essential. Like, I want to mulligan to a threat because I want them to have that right away or punish them for not having it. If I can play a Dust Witch turn one and you can't answer it, woohoo. Oh, yeah. I'm off to the races, right? Like, um, and, uh -huh. and, and so. So I think that your early game plays and mapping out and knowing how your early game plays and what they are and how they look against different types of decks, that's a huge thing. And then um, the last thing, and then I'll, I'll give you your, your chance to, uh, to chime in. Yeah, what are your tempo plays in the deck and what are your reactive and proactive um, styles, right? Like, I think that when you're basically... Um, like this kind of just feeds off the early game plays, right? Is that like once you make your early game play, the next thing is to get to your middle game and your mid game is literally like, how is your deck going to play? Are you playing proactively? Are you making them react to you? Or are you waiting for them to do something to react to them? Um, and are you in the right side of it? Does your deck play both ways? Does it have two lines to play either, you know, either way? Can you play defensively or do you have to be aggressive? Um, the best decks, I think, kind of do both. And um, it's just a matter of when you put your foot on the gas and when you basically take it off. Um, but 
I think that that is like the chain of, of events, right? Is like, know your early game, get into the tempo of the game, make sure that you're staying, keeping yourself ahead as best you can, or you're positioning yourself to take control, right? Like there's two different ways that you could go through that mid game. And then when you get to your end game, you need to know how to close out the game, right? In a nutshell, that's what we just talked about, right? That That's the, that's the booking for it, right? So that, that's, that's, those are the yeah. questions and stuff that I had. So what, like, uh, go ahead. Yeah. And- I- well, so I think, yeah, I think it's real important, right? Like, I think, so So we were talking about some of those matchups before, right? Like, imagine you're going into this matchup and you see that it's just a super heavy Shadow Steel package, right? Classic Coda Shadow Steel package, right? And, and maybe maybe they, you know, they don't have Untamed, right? So they're, it's not, they're also not going to massively burst, right? And you're looking at your, your starting hand, right, to sort of combine these things together. And you think about, like, all right, um, you know, I could you know, come out making some amount of Ember and, uh, you know, doing that sort of thing, but that's just going to lead right into them just starting to steal stuff. Or maybe I um, uh, look more for just throwing down a bunch of creatures. They have low low creature control, maybe, and I'm just going to start throwing down some creatures, start populating the board, maybe archiving to maybe my own big untamed burst key charge or something right so you're looking at what they have and you're modifying sort of what you uh what you want to do right and that can go all the way back to the mulligan right like uh hey i don't want to you know burst out of the gate because they have all these cards right i want to i want to play a little slow out of the gate so or or hey i want to i want to catch their attention so i'm going to mulligan into something that is going to be a threat that they have to deal with right away right so so i think i think the um these things these pieces fit together and you have to take those two minutes right and i i uh you know i was once good and hopefully will be good at taking the two minutes to really think through and really see all the things go over the callers multiple times and figure out like okay this is what i think they're going to try to do this is how my deck is strong this is how my deck is weak and what should i do form your game plan Yep, and that is the keys to how I look at a deck and like what I look for in decks. And again, like uh, no raw numbers that I gave you here because I want you guys to think a little bit more um, away from the numbers, right? Like away from the SAS and stuff. Um, does SAS matter? Yes, it does help. Like it's a very useful tool. Um, and the SAS numbers do like, you know, like the best decks are, they tend to be like 77 SAS and up, right? Like there's, you know there are decks that, that that are anomalies that get below that 77 number that are pretty good but like for the most part like if you're looking for like the competitive bulk like you're looking at like between 77 and i would say 83 um from what i've seen like um like you know there's a couple obviously outliers that go up way up um, or way down um like the heart of the forest decks that live in the 50 you know sas ranges and like the, mm-hmm. the crazy decks like the 102s and the 103s like the figors and stuff of the world but with all that said, um, let's give you some numbers now for your newer players if you don't want to think Ooh. so. If you don't want to think so hard, right? So 50, 50 top level decks um, off of different people and different lists that I've compiled um, over over the year. Uh, and uh, so for Amber uh, Control, I used to say ten was the magic number, right? Little did I know in top level decks, the average is twelve. 
Um, so, so it's a little okay. bit, it's a little Slightly bit, higher. a little bit higher than what I said. Uh, creature control is the same. It's twelve. Um, and mm-hmm. I used to say 10, 10, 10, 20, Right, that was my my numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, roll know, so yeah, it's like the basics, right? And like so things. So for raw amber, um, surprisingly and not surprisingly, um, what do you think the raw amber averages on amazing decks? I'm gonna say um, fifteen. Okay, a little high. Yeah. So, well, is it because uh, it is a little bit high? You're exactly right because it's 14 is the average. Okay. Um, whereas, like I said, 12 is probably like a good rule. Of yeah. Thumb, but like, uh, like 14 is the average. So it goes okay. to show you that these decks are looking to play more amber, higher amber numbers, right? Um, to get mm-hmm. to get raw value, and then for speed average, um, and speed is the total speed. Um, and what I'm I'm saying by that is that speed is adding the um the draw the archive. Um, well, no, it's, it's draw recursion and oh, I see, and disruption, right? So you add them all together. Um, what do you think the average oh, total okay. would be? All three of those things together, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say it's a little higher because you're wanting to do a bunch of one of those with the help of a little bit of another. So I'm gonna say it's as high as 15 across three of them. Okay, across three of them, it's 16. So pretty close. Okay. Good guess. Right. Okay. But okay, see, so kind of, the numbers kind of make sense, right? Like, as you're going a little bit higher than what, like, the rule of 10 that we had. But, uh, you know, but uh, this, again, these are for top level, like, you know, proven decks. So they're they're pretty good. Um, expected Amber was actually kind of surprising to me, um, to give you a hint. But uh, what do you think the expected right. Amber average would be? Kind of surprising. I don't know if that means higher or low. All right, so we said 14. So I'm going to say uh 25 yeah the expected amber average was only 20 what really yes and then and i think that is because okay. i think that is because yeah. there was a good balance of control decks um mm. like um a lot of the better decks they want to play reactively and proactively so like you see a mm. lot of more of a control element so the expected amber kind of goes down on that because the cards that are they're playing aren't yeah. necessarily getting extra reap effects or whatever so um they're playing more towards like that control factor so i think that's why it's down as far as 20 but i still think that like you want to be higher than that uh, most of the time like 25 i think is like where I, I feel comfortable but like like uh 20 like you know 20 is is very doable um so like uh that's mm-hmm. kind of it's kind of a fun number um to show you that expected amber is kind of like a, a, a wafy thing because you like you said like you have to be able to execute expected amber um not just you know it's not a given to you like raw amber so um yeah. interesting that 14 raw amber means that expected amber that they're only looking to hit six like extra yeah. extra effects huh. right, right so yeah well it's interesting right because i like i said how i read deck cards leans a little different there so maybe i need to <laughs> maybe i need to think about that yeah i'm just i mean this is just food for thought mm-hmm. right this is my opinion sure. it is sure. not it's not a overly scientific um it's just thought about and calculated Some by data. how i do it yeah so yeah. uh scaling amber control for me um the average is one um okay Okay. And Makes sense. the board wipes uh, average was one, and key cheats yeah. average was one. So like having a one okay. one one in those extra yeah, 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 yeah. was uh, was pretty good. And then um, the what about board? Like I I have no idea for board for like uh, creature power. Oh, I didn't even take that into account. It's not you even something. look at that effective power. I, no. I I don't because like it's like 
let's say yeah, I don't. Let's say I don't you, count it. Yeah, <laughs> really, yeah. when I'm reading a deck card. Yeah. yeah, like like let's say you're playing Mars, right? Your effective mm-hmm. your effective power could be really low, but the thing is, is they all do something, right? They like mm-hmm. two two to three power means you know one to one to three power means that they probably have a pretty special ability that goes along with them most of the time. Um, mm-hmm. and, and if they're vanilla, they suck. Um, it's not worth no. it. But like um, but like uh, like at four, you kind of sometimes get a nice thing, sometimes you don't. Um, but like four yep. is kind of like that that middle ground and then anything five or better with an effect is crazy good right mm-hmm. um yeah so like um it gets kind of crazy and sorians kind of up the curve on that because they they're kind of like you know a little bit tougher quote unquote and they have more effects mm-hmm. at three and four than uh some most of them but um yeah, yeah so that was interesting to me um then like um yeah, so like I think those are all most of the numbers. Oh, artifact control. Uh, average R, yeah, yeah, yeah. Average uh, artifact control was one point five out of one point five. Okay. It was one. Okay. It was one point five out of the out of the decks that had um, artifact control, but there were a lot of zeros, okay. and so when you factor in the zeros, that goes down to one. So like, um, but the thing, okay. with, but the thing with one is that. Is it is it hard or is it soft? Like all that stuff. So amber control yeah. is kind of like a weird number because like wow. your artifact or your not amber control, your artifact control is a weird number because uh, you have such a weird variance in how um, how good it really is, right? Like neutron shark, yeah. is, a neutron shark is one point five amber control. Like yep. and, and like that's pretty powerful. But one point mm-hmm. five one point five amber control is also a poltergeist, mm-hmm. which is like a whole lot different from a neutron shark, right? A neutron shark, I can eat all, I can eat every one of your artifacts. Um, whereas like a, all uh, right. Yep. Whereas with a poltergeist, I get like a one-time like semi mm-hmm. could be useful use or not. Right. Like, um, I don't know. Like, sure. so it's just, it's just, it's just odd. Or you could have just like three a borrow three, like, right. yeah. Like, yeah. You could, or you uh-huh. could just have like three, like really mediocre Amber, like like remote accesses right you could have like three remote mm-hmm. accesses probably will get you a one or 1.5 something i don't know the exact exact yeah i think they're 0.5 i believe yeah, yeah so so point. like three remote accesses is not good like but it could it could definitely like skew so like with artifact control i, I think you have to kind of put your spin on yeah. it and go what am i really looking to get out of it and that's like when you have to really think about but yeah. um with all that said um that's how I do decks. Like, yeah. um, yeah. I, I don't think I could break it down any more. Like, yeah. um, I don't know, like, what else I could answer, like, for well, it. So, uh, there's one other thing mm-hmm. that I did. Well, I don't want to say I looked at when I'm picking my decks, but like, I'm going into Keyforge Live, trying to think hard about, mm-hmm. and that is the remembering to do things. <laughs> <laughs> so, like. That's every day. What if? <laughs> yeah. Well, like things that like TCO just does for you, like mm-hmm. uh, you know, draw an extra card for your mothers and daughters, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, things like pose pixies, like making sure the ember comes from the right place, right? Mm-hmm. Your kin cans, make sure you steal that ember, right? Like, um, your your ragwargs, right? Like, you know, if you're bringing that, um all these weird effects that uh, TCO just does for you. And, you know, if you forget, it'll remind you and maybe sometimes not a way you want, but uh, you won't, you won't miss it. Yeah. If you and your opponent. Yeah. I lost the game today because I played a boat and a thing. 
And um, mm-hmm. he had a cellar foist out, and I was like, oh, you know, it's not going to work, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to put it back with my safe house into the archives. I just played it to play it because I wanted to get the other Shadows card out. And then mm-hmm. uh, the next turn over, he played an Amber. He goes, now my cellar foist is on. And I'm like, oh, wait a second. I would have stole two Amber from you. I was like, you know what? I'm not going to mm-hmm. take it back because I missed it. But, like, mm-hmm. good, good mental note. Like, uh, make sure you understand fully what your limitations mm-hmm. are, especially cards like that are triggered, like Fandangles and cellar foist and stuff like that. Um mm-hmm them being active versus not active could be huge like a huge mm-hmm. thing and like in, in in tournament play you miss it you miss it like you're not nope. gonna you're not gonna get it back after a certain point right you could call a judge to, to kind of backtrack it out because i think technically it has to happen but how far can we really effectively backtrack it without changing the game yep that's, that's and something. he actually put a really nice email together just sort of describing like you know, hey, everybody's going to get a warning. Both sides are going to get a warning if you miss something, right? Because both players are responsible for mm-hmm. maintaining game state. He really detailed out how things are supposed to go. So it was good. It was a good note. Yeah, so that's good. Um, so it, Keyforge Live, it's happening this weekend. And hopefully this helps you. And hopefully um, that, you know, the process and and, and the, the setup for it is... is um, enjoyable to you and that you're having a fun trying to pick it out because this is kind of like mm-hmm. that 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 equivalent time to building decks for magic tournaments right it's like picking the right deck picking out the deck that you really want to uh, make a difference from and uh, when you're picking out an archon if you're playing in the archon triad like when you're picking out your triad it's not really just a matter of take your best decks because you have to have like a lot of these things you have to think about like how do i beat a control deck do i have a deck that can beat a control deck do i have a deck that beats a rush deck do i have a deck that beats a tempo deck how do i stop a combo deck and all this and you have to kind of find decks that do two of the three right like um and do them effectively and overlap them i think that's the trick to triad and i think that um it's it's a far more daunting task than some people like really think about right and uh I don't know. I wish I was there. I, w- I really wanted to play Triad. <laughs> well, this is this is survival, but but still. Oh, still, that's still uh, not, yeah. Not Triad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it's a little easier from that perspective, but yeah. um, um, you, you don't have to worry about the bands and stuff. But uh, you know, it's a little bit of a different flavor, right? Like, should you, um, you know, which car, which deck do you put in which slot, right? That's the whole interesting mm-hmm. uh, thought process with, um, w- with this and, um. I have I, I have I have a thought process I have a thought process to that is that yeah. I'm going out with my best deck like my third yeah. deck is always going to be my best deck because I don't want to not I don't want to lose on a deck that's not my best deck right like yeah. that's my thought and I, I the most consistent deck perhaps if you're unsure about which one your best is right like something right. you can rely on yeah when i when i say when i say best i don't necessarily mean sass best or like overall this i i'm I'm talking about the deck that i play best like inca inca probably anchors me because inca is the deck i have the most experience with and i think is the most offsetting to people but at the same time like do i really want inca there because i know that if i get towards the end like to the finals I'm going to be playing decks that would probably destroy Inca. Like, I have no no <laughs> chance of winning against them. So, maybe Peters is my anchor, which it is. But, <laughs> but, but, but it, you know, but it, you know, but I definitely have Inca in my mix, right? Like, I love Inca, so I'm playing it because mm-hmm. it's, it's usually my leadoff, honestly. That's my leadoff, mm-hmm. my leadoff deck because it's comfortable, it's fun, it's fast, it's really just tempo back and forth like not a lot of thinking so like uh i don't have to stress and like losing with it wouldn't bother me because i know it's going to lose at some point and the farthest i can take it 
the farther I could take it, the better, right? <laughs> so. Yep. Yep. Yeah, I have to get back into that mindset of, you know, I, I tend to do well on my mindset is, hey, any win from here on out is like better than I kind of expected to do. So when I'm in that kind of zen, I, I do well. <laughs> yep. Well, I mean, you should want to win every game, but oh, sure, sure, <laughs> but but just don't don't start sweating, don't get that pressure. No. Like, what do I do? Right? It's like, hey, you know what? I'm gonna play my best I can. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna try to figure out what my opponent's gonna do. Try to form my game plan, and if it works, awesome. If it doesn't, I had a ton of fun, right? Like that that sort of mindset for for me helps me not be overstressed and and do well. Well, I think all you can do is play your 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 deck to the best of your ability, and if you can mm-hmm. play it to where you feel like I did everything as right as I could do in the moment, um, mm-hmm. it's not going back and second guessing your line and going, man, like oh, if I had just changed that, or if I'd done this or changed that. Like at the end of the like at the end of a game, if I feel that way, then I feel like I, I was like, man, I could have played it better. That's that's when mm-hmm. it gets in your head and you start kind of hurting yourself. Yeah. Right. So like once a play is made, just accept what you made, because at the time you made it, you thought it was right. Like it's easy to hindsight. It's easy to look mm-hmm. back. It's easy to be 2020 when you're looking back. Right. Like I should know when he was had that in his hand already. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so like uh, but the, but there is a difference between like hindsight 2020 and like just looking back and going man that just really wasn't the right move right like there's a difference between that and uh like the better you at you are at defining that the better your results will be in the end right so um absolutely absolutely um so that puts us like right over at that hour mark um so but uh i hope everybody has a blast at keyforge live uh i'm excited for it and you know it's even more exciting than just keyforge live this weekend uh nothing kfpl starts on monday <laughs> so like uh, we basically start putting out all the info on monday there you go so there you go. Uh, cool. so the, the cool. league cool. is ready um if you haven't seen the new, the website i have updated all the lists of what the decks were that were picked for it are out there um mm-hmm. i also set up a like a, a a little tracker so that like when people start getting eliminated like their decks like i, I set it up with the, like a it's kind of like a, a a secondary like there's one page that's like the list with the actual name of the deck and the link and then on the second page is it just says like coda aoa worlds collide mm dt and then like as they lose their decks i'm gonna put an x where they get knocked out so that you can kind of follow who's doing what and what's what's getting lost um so it's kind of cool but even where it says coda aoa the, the link to the deck is there as well so i did a lot of uh hyperlinking for you guys i hope you enjoy it nice um, nice good stuff yeah good because stuff. i want you guys to be able to follow it but uh you follow it at kfpl.site s-i-t-e um that's where you find mm-hmm. all this information i do twitter it if you are not a following my twitter um i do put out a lot of information through twitter so that is at Keyforge L, um, and because that's how many characters I could put in because I was going to go for Keyforge Premier League, but it was too long. Uh, a lot, yeah. Yeah, so it's just Keyforge, Keyforge L. Works. L. Keyforge L. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's it. Um, good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I encourage you guys if you're going to be there, Keyforge Live, come up to me, say say hey, and uh, you know I've got, you know, obviously we're playing a lot of Keyforge, but I've also got a list of restaurants and bars that i want to check out in the milwaukee area so for example <laughs> after um uh, thursday night right there there's a sort of pre-event at uh, pink bunny games there that little cars run in and uh, we're gonna be going out to dinner after that so uh you know if you're showing up 
Thursday. Uh, you know, go come and play some games, and we'll we'll get some grub together. And uh, I'm on vacation, so I'm gonna you know take us somewhere fancy. But uh, you know, because vacation. <laughs> because you have but, your because uh, you have your wife with you, and uh, like, one of the I ways do. You, yes. One of the ways you got to yes. Milwaukee was conning her and saying we're going for the beer and we're it's, going for the food, and she was like, "Awesome! <laughs> <laughs> what a good wife!" Yes. Yes, she's I'm sad. I'm, 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 sad I'm sad. I'm sad that I'm not going and bringing Monica because those two could just mm. hang out, go eat, and hang out and drink. There we, you could go. Ju- we, yeah. could just, we could just show up, have a couple, and then take them home, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah cool. <laughs> <laughs> Victory. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, this is uh, KeyForge Premier League Weekly. We will be back on the MTG thing uh, coming off of KeyForge Live. Uh, we will have George Kegel um, uh, penciled in to uh, do the next one. So um, I'm excited about that because George, I know, has been a, a longtime Magic the Gathering player. So we'll, we'll continue that discussion. But until then, this is Jupiter from Melius, New York, a.k.a. the Fifth Planet KeyForge, and I'll catch you on the flip side. And this is Drazcore. Happy Forging, everyone.